Friends, there are plenty of good reasons to stop being a Christian. One of the questions that I and a lot of church leaders have is what are the good reasons to stay a Christian? The Christian church has hurt a lot of people. And as we are more honest about our history, we have a lot to contend with. There are long legacies of power abuse. Christians have used their faith to justify abhorrent abuses like chattel slavery, the slaughter of indigenous people, the separation of children from their families, and the subjugation of women. I understand why a lot of young people these days are identifying as nuns, no religious affiliation. In a lot of ways, that seems preferable to being identified with that kind of history. And yet, here I am, a Christian pastor, preaching from the same Bible that Christians have used for 2,000 years, teaching these ancient stories to our children and our youth, and inviting them to find meaning, to find strength in Christian traditions and rituals. Why? What good reasons do we have for sticking with Christianity at this time and in this place? The short answer for me is Jesus. But Jesus means a lot of different things to different people. So a more precise answer is that Jesus continues to invite me into closer proximity to people in need. And that invitation, that challenge, has become the most valuable spiritual practice in my life. We hear this invitation in the parable that the spoken word chorus shared with us. This parable comes on the heels of a couple of other parables about being prepared for God's realm. There's a parable about anticipating the arrival of God's realm, like a bridal party awaiting the arrival of the intended. There's a parable about investing in God's realm with courage, even when it feels risky. I almost think of these as parables in the past tense and the present tense. So there's the people looking forward to the realm of God, there's the people living in the realm of God choosing to invest. And then this parable that we heard this morning is the retrospective. People on the other side looking back at the choices that they've made with their lives. All the nations standing before one who rules over all of them and judges their character. In this parable, the nations or the people that are commended are those who extended care and hospitality to those in need, not even realizing that they were serving that great ruler all along. The parable doesn't actually say that the ruler is Jesus. But thousands of years of Christian practice has affirmed that some of the most powerful encounters with Jesus occur when we choose to care 
for a neighbor in need. This happened to Martin of Tours in the fourth century. He was in the Roman cavalry and had just begun converting to Christianity when one day he encountered a stranger on the road who was cold and shivering. Martin cut his own cloak in two so that he could leave half with the stranger. Later, he had a dream in which Jesus appeared to him wearing that half a cloak and thanking Martin for caring for him. Francis of Assisi experienced Jesus so profoundly in the presence of beggars and the disease ridden on the perimeter of his own town that he renounced his family business and chose a life of poverty in community with those people who were in great need. So many other young people in his area were inspired by this move that a whole monastic movement was born, one led by Francis and one led by his friend Claire. Charles Wesley, who composed hymns that continue to fill our hymnals today, had this same experience among the poor laborers who hung out in bars in his town, which is why most of his hymns are set to popular drinking songs. <laughs> he and his brother John Wesley are considered the founders of the Methodist Church. During the Depression, Dorothy Day experienced the presence of Jesus in the community of neighbors that she fed in a daily soup line, and the Catholic worker movement was born. Peace House, right here in Kalamazoo, is a part of that same movement. I, just in the last few years, have learned about a Japanese Christian, Kagawa Toyohiko, who was inspired by the parable of the Good Samaritan and by the example of St. Francis to move into the slums of the city where he went to seminary. He complained that the seminary classes spent too much time talking about what to believe and not enough time putting faith into action. He spent his career working with economists and theologians, trying to find a way that Christians could set up their economic life around the principle of family and cooperation in contrast to capitalism state socialism, or fascism. When I was a teenager, I remember learning about Rich Mullins, who was one of the big names in the praise and worship music industry at the time, except that he was handling fame differently from a lot of his peers. Instead of living in larger and larger mansions as his albums made money, he set up a board to manage his income he asked them to give him a salary that was based on the median income of the county where he lived. And the remainder of his record sales and concert income went to communities in need. For the last years of his life, he was living and working with children on a Navajo reservation. This is why I'm still a Christian. Alongside the legacy of abuse, we see over and over again, generation after generation, people who are inspired by Jesus 
and invited by Jesus to move into closer relationships with those in need. The relationship part is key. This spiritual practice, in my experience, is not about the money first. It's about the relationships first. Jesus invites people to recognize that those who are poor, those who are chronically ill, those who are incarcerated, those who are living in fear or loneliness, they are family. We all belong in God's family. We are kinfolk. Sometimes this can feel overwhelming. When I was 13 or 14 years old, I had the idea to start writing a list of people to pray for. And within about a week, I had divided a notebook into alphabetized sections with plenty of space to keep adding names. And about two months into this, I realized it was just a list of everyone I had ever met in my entire life, <laughs> which when you live overseas becomes a lot of people. <laughs> And it, I very quickly abandoned the project of praying for people every day because it felt so huge and overwhelming. How can we possibly respond to the very dire and concrete needs of everyone? The world is big. The needs are huge. And we are limited humans with limited resources. This is where the word proximity helps me out. I don't believe that Jesus calls me to meet the needs of every person who has needs. I believe that Jesus calls me to be in relationship with the people in my proximity and to resist the impulse to pull away when their needs begin to feel so big that it is overwhelming. That's the heart of the invitation, to move closer to those people who I see who have the greatest needs, not pull back. The Good Samaritan didn't set out on his journey intending to save a life. But when his path brought him close to a person in need, he was the one who did not move to the far side of the road. He moved closer to that particular person on that particular day. When we accept this invitation, when we move closer to someone in need, we discover our own lives enriched. We find ourselves reorganizing our lives away from the accumulation of wealth and toward generosity. We find ourselves reorganizing our society away from violence and exploitation and toward humane treatment for all. We find ourselves rejoicing in the abundance of more than enough 
rather than hoarding against the fear of not enough. And this is where I encounter Jesus again and again. Jesus invites me and Jesus meets me when I choose to be in relationship with folks this parable calls the least of these members of my family. It's not easy. I am far from perfect. But I find that when I can resist that impulse to pull away from someone who is hurting or desperate or lonely and instead move closer to them, that that is where transformation happens. When I accept that challenge, it's a spiritual practice that consistently brings me closer to being the kind of human being that I want to become. There are plenty of good reasons to stop being a Christian. And there are plenty of good reasons to keep being a Christian. This is mine. What are yours? <laughs>